in Gaza right now. Ralph, we're going to have to leave it there. We want to thank you so much. I hate to cut you off on your 90th birthday, but what else is new? Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate, corporate critic, former presidential candidate. Happy 90th birthday. Founder of the print-only monthly newspaper Capitol Hill Citizen. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. This news is funded by viewers and listeners like you. Please support our work at democracynow.org slash support. As a pedestrian, you see headlights, but that doesn't mean the driver sees you. When walking at dawn, dusk, or after dark, make sure to be seen by oncoming traffic. Walk facing traffic. Wear light-colored, light-reflective clothing. Carry a bright light so drivers can see you. Use crosswalks. See and be seen. Pedestrian safety. It's no accident. That is correct. And right now it is six o'clock. You're listening to WUSB Stony Brook broadcasting on 90.1 FM, 107.3 FM and over the Internet at WUSB.FM. It being six o'clock and a Tuesday, that means once again, it's time for Off the Wall.
And a very good evening to everybody. The program is Off the Wall. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you on this Tuesday evening, joined by Kyle. Yes, I affirm I am here under my own free will, and I reserve the right to sarcasm, cynicism, skepticism, and facetiousness, as well as uh, leaving this hour or any other hour at my own will. That, that twine's not too tight, is it? Uh, no. And again, I'm sorry we couldn't get the rope. You but, should try uh, Velcro. It's Vel- already in use down the Velcro hall. Velcro is just as effective and it's reusable. Well, yeah, but you can you can just peel it off and that's kind of defeats the purpose. But yes, welcome. Uh, welcome all our listeners uh, who are equally uh, here against their will. Uh, and um, <laughs> No, I affirmed I... W- oh, you caught the sarcasm. Okay. I, I, I can do that. I can, I can catch up. Well, we have stories to tell, so yeah. I'm here. Well, we do have stories to tell. Boy, uh, we've been through some... Uh, today's a very busy day. Okay, there's a lot going on. I mean, we won't get to everything, so I'm sorry for all the stories. We don't apologizing two stories. Uh, so um, basically, uh, we have a lot that uh, uh, that that has been going on. So um, it's 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 uh, primary day in um, in Michigan. Uh, so there's that. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, there are all kinds of things that have been going on over the weekend, and of course. Um, uh, we have our own um, uh, personal items that we have been involved in. Um, we were in we were in the city yesterday, uh, and and boy, uh, we had some some uh, adventures. Um, we saw an amazing documentary, and I, I I completely recommend people see this while they can because I think it's only around for a week. Um, it's about this Ukrainian place in the city called Veselka. It's a, it's this uh, what used to be a twenty four hour uh, restaurant. Now it's I think it's only open till midnight. Hopefully. Uh, it'll go back to uh, around the clock. Uh, but this was about, you know, the history of the place, but also how important it's become uh, in the wake of the war, the invasion of Ukraine. I don't know. I, I just, I was, I was very moved by the whole thing. Uh, and of course, you know, only a few blocks away from the place itself. Uh, you walk by it and there are the people that were in the film and, and basically you realize, you know, how much strength it takes to keep something like that going when uh, you're uncertain as to what is happening with your loved ones back home. Um, you know, th- there should be so many more uh, stories, documentaries like this being told because there are so many courageous people all around us with such amazing tales to tell. So true. The um, restaurant itself, if anyone has been there, you've always, you would always sort of um, wonder what the story was because it does have these... Um, uh, 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 sort of worn and and um, time time itself seems to to uh, appear there. It, it has this staying power because it's so old. Like many institutions in New York and Manhattan, let's be real. That's uh, part of its charm uh, in large part. And the the place itself exemplifies that. And so to actually learn a little bit about it, like even the name, uh, the Rainbow or Rainbow. Um, I had that's, no idea. I never. That, I don't know Ukrainian, so the, the, that's what Veselka means is rainbow. I didn't yeah, know that either. That little insight w- was so special, and then um, this film showing the generations involved, showing what it took and why and who the characters involved, and um, really where it fits now with the war and all of that other stuff. It's it's this confluence of things. It's quintessential uh, New York neighborhoods changing or staying amidst change and having uh support uh from the community Uh, also the little ukraine neighborhood Mm -hmm. a lot of people might not have known 
uh, sort of centered around that. That's why it's the center of the world. Rainbow, the center of the world. Oh, it's been extended. I just I just checked the dates. Uh, The last showing was originally uh, this Thursday, but now I see it's it's playing all the way up until next Thursday, March seventh. So uh, that's in the East Village in in New York, and the film is called Veselka, the Rainbow on the Corner at the Center of the World. That's it. Yeah, (laughs) and that pretty much sums it up. But even knowing the community that had at one at its peak been I think around seventy five thousand inhabitants it's it's uh been reduced quite a bit but here it is um as a diaspora still thriving um and meeting the moment mm-hmm. being a support because so um uh so many of the employees of this particular place have connections to ukraine they um they're um actively supporting people and keeping in touch with them which is a lifeline to those in conflict zones if you have someone that can watch from afar and guide you and arrange things and you know because they're um able to with utilities and services that are otherwise um unseen and unheard of in a conflict so it's it's critical to maintain that and the story itself um i I don't want to reveal the whole thing but there's a lot of harrowing um things that this proprietor does just in their small way to provide uh, a foundation because they appreciate and understand that their staying power over the years has been built on a foundation of community and people supporting one another. It's such heroism. It really is the small things that, that people do for each other. And, uh, and, uh, the, the proprietor of the Selka was able to help, uh, many of his employees and their families, uh, in getting sponsored to come over to the United States or just being helped out in one way or another. And you just, you hear the stories one after another. And the the amazing thing is, you know, if you've been to this place, you'll recognize the people, uh, you know, like um, the story of um, um, uh, Vitaly, I think was his name, uh, who was a busboy, I think at, at the age of like 13. I remember that kid. I remember seeing him. Yeah, we definitely. And now he's telling his story as an adult and you realize, wow, what he went through, all that he went through in that whole period yeah. and still is going through and how he's he's helping his family and, and, um, and, and just the many other people around it, it really we, we need more local stories like that to be told to be shared and um, that doesn't mean if you're not in the area you won't find this fascinating um, definitely check it out uh, the Selka the uh, rainbow at the center of what is it again uh, the rainbow on the corner at the center of the world and uh, if, if um, it's not playing in a local theater I'm sure you can find it somewhere you know uh, online distributed someplace uh, it's it's definitely worth checking out yeah the the story keeping the support up uh, as news cycles change and, uh, of course, political winds shift and are un- otherwise uncertain. Um, this has been um, really cool because you're getting uh, a side of the story that is directly from people most affected. And that's um, that is telling. And it, it really, I think, gives you a sense of pride that, you know, we can fit in somewhere if, if there are other organized methods that um, are waning or, or, you know, you feel helpless. You, you don't have to. There's um, many other people in action and supporting one another. So I, I, it's just an, a great um, allegory for a lot of what might be in your community right now. Maybe there is a place mm-hmm. you know of that is helping out causes in similar ways, helping people Definitely. that need, um, need to be nat- that are naturalizing or otherwise trying to uh, build a, a new life. That is the quintessential American story. And hey, uh, it's 
people here already extending opportunities that are um, the open doors for those stories uh, to to start for people to start anew. And then almost right after that, we headed uptown the Carnegie Hall for the uh, annual Tibet House uh, uh, concert, which is an incredible uh, gathering of people uh, all there to um, uh, help out the people of uh, of Tibet. Um, and um, you know <laughs> that was. Uh, that was something because um, uh, Carnegie Hall, first of all, if you've never been there, that's just an incredible venue. It, it seems smaller than you expect it to be, but it's it's still so grandiose. And you realize, my God, I'm in Carnegie Hall. But here's the thing. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, just the architecture, the um, the gilding sort of just, yeah. it brings you into this sense of place and uh, tradition and uh, where stories and, and many mm-hmm. different things have been um, shared with, with wide audiences. And it's just, it feels incredibly formal, but approachable. Uh, and, and is, um, I don't know, it was really a spectacular venue to, so we to ha- check out. Yeah, we had, we had a bit of an adventure because we got there. We were a little bit, uh, you know, not late, but almost late. Uh, and um, uh, we were on the guest list. So we, we uh, had to find out people streaming in, but they, they all had tickets. We had to, you know, get our ticket. Uh, so I asked the guy at the door, uh, where do you go if you're on the list? And he said, uh, go around to, uh, I think, 161 or something. It was a doorway on the side street. And, you know, so we went over there. We went that, to that, that that door. Well, do qualify. That person was at a uh, sort of metal detector, uh, check your bags kind yeah, of thing. I figured so, he would know something. I, he may not have been the person to ask, but we were we were kind of flustered. We didn't really know where to go you, and I, I was convinced it was at town hall not yeah, Carnegie you were, hall you were saying i was totally are we at the right venue <laughs> it, it didn't even dawn on me i mean I, you probably said Carnegie hall like like um you know 10 different times i missed it i was only associating right. it w- with where it had been in previous well, years. no it had been at Carnegie hall previously but we, we had uh that's right it was at Carnegie hall last time we were there i think was 2020 and it was at Carnegie hall then but um what i think tripped you up is we uh we saw a uh, philip glass at town hall uh a number of years before that and uh yeah different venues all over the and place different show yeah okay, and yeah. town hall is a great venue as well but this was not the venue we were supposed to be at we're supposed to be at carnegie but hall the, we we're at the right place it's the thing where i and, get it in my head and i just yeah. can't i wouldn't it didn't dawn on me until you're like no this is where we are yeah. I, I was confused you could have convinced everybody to go down to town hall but uh, fortunately i stopped you but w- then we walked over to uh this doorway and, uh, you know, I walked in there very friendly and, and the guy's checking the list. Nope, don't have you. It's like, oh, really? So I had to I had to call the person uh, or, or text the person to put us on the list. Uh, and meanwhile, they just they let us, um, uh, you know, wait inside. Uh, they asked, you know, who was uh, who put you on the list? I told them. So, you know, they were um, uh, bustling about trying to figure things out themselves. And then maybe about five minutes later, first of all, uh, we had heard back. We're supposed to be on the list. I don't know why you're not on the list. I'll, I'll make some phone calls. Uh, they usher us um, into this um, uh, this this hallway um, to an elevator, and um, they say take it to uh, to one M level one M. So you know we get in the elevator, and um, uh, you know I've never heard of a one M before. I don't know what that even means. I, I saw M and I pushed it. Then I realized, oh my God, there's another level one M, <laughs> on, uh, a couple of levels beyond that. Uh, so I, M was below where we were. So we went down. Everybody in the elevator went down. I had to apologize to everybody saying, yeah, I, I did the wrong thing. Went back up to 1M and we go out on 1M. And that is when things got weird because we, we got off the elevator and all of a sudden we see these this row of Tibetan monks all dressed up and ready to go on stage. And I realized, oh my God, we're in back of the stage. We can see the stage. And beyond that, you see the audience. I don't know if you've ever been to Carnegie Hall. 
that's amazing enough. But if you've been to Carnegie Hall looking out at the audience, oh my God, that's something I never expected to see. And what's weird about this was clearly, you know, we were in a place we weren't supposed to be, but nobody stopped us. At that point, if you get to that point, you're, you, you're, you're past any scrutiny. So we're standing there and I'm waiting for somebody to say, uh, you can't be here. Nobody was saying that. We just had a bunch of Tibetan monks and, and performers and people saying, uh, you know, uh, get in your places. We're, we're, we're a few moments away from, from being encouraged to perform on, on the stage. I'm like, no, wait, this can't happen. We, we have to figure this out because we're, we're definitely not supposed to be here. But I don't want to say that to anybody. Well, you got to say you got to remember, too, the the idea we we're just being sort of um, moved from one area to the next. We were just being unassuming. I I didn't want to like disturb any of this. As soon as I realized we were stage right or whatever, like right next to uh, where people were were um, being lined up, uh, we were stage stage. We, sh- we should stay a little bit. Um, you know, we should be respectful that these are oh, performers. Yeah. That yeah. they're also going to do an invocation at the beginning. Like this is um, this is a big deal, and they have a process. And I don't want to be like you know, putting in any kind of our crazy energy of being lost and confused no. uh, into uh, what they're trying to do. We're sort of stepping carefully and just we're stepping standing aside. We were standing. Yeah. We're trying to get out of the way. But- yeah. And like, and, you know, trying to make sure the security people knew, you know, that we were, we were just waiting there. No, but they nobody, didn't even notice well, us. They, they kind of looked us up and down and we and could have stood there the entire night. Probably. Like, yeah. It would have been a weird way to see the show, but uh, yeah, we were right there. You know, I've done this before, but I've done it intentionally. I've, I've, you know, gotten backstage at events. It was like we were with a current. We couldn't avoid the current. We were just well, yeah. Being... So I wanted to see what was going to happen next. Eventually, eventually I got a phone call from somebody saying, where are you? <laughs> I said, you know what? I, I think I'm about to go on stage. So you're going to have to <laughs> tell me where to go. So that doesn't happen. Uh, and so um, uh, I, I, I was told to go down a certain hallway and I went down that hallway and then we were in uh, some kind of a room that had all kinds of snacks and it was like a hangout room for the performers. And what happens? I immediately run into Laurie Anderson <laughs> like, right there is Laurie Anderson. I said, oh, my God, it's such an honor to meet you. You 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 changed my life. You know, oh, Superman, I probably should have said Walk the Dog was my favorite song, not oh, Superman, but whatever. It was just so amazing to just be able to shake her hand and say uh, thank you for all you've done. That's that's all I say. I don't gush too much. Uh, and then, OK, this is really weird there was this guy that was uh, uh uh next or or near her who looked at me with this this recognition in his eyes and oh how you doing and shook my hand effusively and okay i've got a condition where i don't i don't recognize people easily i'm not sure if it's a condition that i was born with or a condition that i acquired since so many people i know tell me things that i really don't want to remember because I might have to testify against them. So I kind of put people's faces out of my mind sometimes. I honestly, sir, if you're out there, I don't know who you were. I I, I, I shook your hand, of course. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? I sure hope you don't expect me to know your name because uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, uh, smiling and nodding. You know, he, he did that and then he left. But of course, that boosted me in the room because obviously I'm a known figure. But I honestly don't know who that person was. He was uh, one of the musicians, in fact. I saw him playing bass later on. Uh, but but I don't know who he was. And I have a feeling maybe he thought I was somebody that I'm not. Uh, and maybe he realized that at some point too. And, and the both of us were shaking each other's hands, not realizing that we didn't know who the other person was. But in any event, we stayed in that room for a little while. Again, you know, staying respectful. I, I just, I, Joan yeah. Baez was in that room. I didn't even recognize her. It was really, really pleasant. A lot of people were just um, 
again, gathering themselves mm-hmm. and um, uh, meeting loved ones before their performance, you know, wishing them luck and stuff. And there were some, some tea and, and stuff, of course. We didn't take any of that. No, we, no. Weren't, we weren't there for that at all. We're just trying to find our seats try, in the try audience. Try just sit down and not be a, a bother. So we're still in this holding pattern. Uh-huh. And it was really surreal. Um, and it's funny. You realize this is actually behind the stage. And in that room, there was like um, a fabric, uh, uh, three fabric panels that are a photograph of a piano and the stage em- or the audience empty. So you're standing basically behind the stage and this um, this uh, uh, tapestry or printed tapestry is hanging there showing you what it would look like from from the stage itself. I don't think I saw that. It was just it was just very cool, like um, uh, something that kind of prepares the performers for what they're about to walk on to. And, and I just it was a very interesting moment. I kept my chin up. I just was, uh, you know, nodding and politely saying, OK, we're next and waiting well, we, for we, waiting for what my next cue was. We were accepted by this crowd who <laughs> had no idea who we were. Uh, but, you know, we stayed out of the way uh, and, and, and didn't cause any any problems. Eventually, um, I got another call from somebody who said, where are you now? And sent somebody to get us. And then that person led us. And this is where it got even weirder because uh, they led us to where we were supposed to be. And that's when I found out that there's a difference between the, the list that I thought I, we were on and the will call list or two lists. So I inadvertently went to the backstage list. Uh, I should have gone to the will call list, which was right in the front, but the guy told me to go to that door. So that's what I did. Um, and that meant we had to go outside again. So after all that, we were back out on the street, but then we went in and yes, our names were on the list and then we, we were able to, to go in, but we had to wait because we were late at that point and, um, and the monks were already doing their invocation and we had to wait for that to end. So yeah, you know, but it, it was definitely an event and, and boy, the, um, the performance was great. Uh, you can't say we didn't see the monks. We, we sure did see we the monks. We were right hanging there. out with the monks. Uh, but uh, seeing Joan Baez and Laurie Anderson performing together, um, and uh, of course, uh, you know, the um, uh, Philip Glass Ensemble, there was this um, uh, performer everybody was, was freaking out over named Maggie Rogers, who I don't know, to be honest, but a lot of people know her, and she's a rising star, mark my words, just based on the reaction she got. Uh, she was singing, um, uh, you know, a duet with uh, Joan Baez, you know, Bob Dylan song, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, it's really, really amazing, and this, to me, was one of the highlights. Bowen Yang reading Allen Ginsberg. And boy, does he deliver. It was incredible. If you ever get the chance to see Bowen Yang <laughs> reading, reading Allen Ginsberg, uh, don't pass it up. It really, it really was incredible. That was one of my highlights, too. I thought they just had a really good mix. And Bowen Yang was, was outstanding and just, just fully alive with the music in the background. And it was just really really um heartwarming to see all of um just little samples of of different people's unlikely skills or 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 interests and talents just on display and doing something that he might not necessarily be known for but equally like um excelling and just uh conveying that feeling was was pretty spectacular to be a part of and you know the night ended with um this band we thought this band was ukrainian uh goggle bordello uh, it turns out they're from New York, or at least um, they're based in New York, and they have members from all around the world. But boy, you know, they have an accordion and everything. It really sounded uh, Eastern European, had everybody dancing and clapping, and it was just so incredible to see the entire night's, you know, uh, performers gathered up there on um, on stage. It was, it was so moving, 
And to do that and the Veselka documentary in one day in New York City was was simply fantastic. And so um inter like I said, like it's just the uh interplay of all these things. There was really a, a weird uh theme or a general um uh sense of responsibility, sense of awareness mm-hmm. that Per, that was a, ran across these different uh, shows that we were able to see. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And of course, New York City is, is always magical. Um, you know, we, we, we enjoy every time we go in there. Uh, this time, all these memorials to Flacco, the, uh, the owl who passed away um, a few days ago. Incredible that, you know, one owl can um, unite a city so much and have everybody following where he is, where he was spotted lately and... Um, that's that's true magic when when uh, when people get together on something like that. People in an unlikely place like New York City. It's not the first time either because um, we have a, a red-tailed hawk down uh, in the East Village uh, named Christo. He's been around for for many years, and people are always uh, taking pictures of him and talking about him and you know who he's hooking up with, how many kids he's got this year. It's it's just such magic. And you know the um, Flacco the Arrow even came down to the East Village for about three days last year. Everybody in the East Village knew this. They knew that he was in town or in this particular part of town and were taking pictures of him there too. Well, that contrast, just keeping track, sharing it with people. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like, uh, And people just, they're, they're bringing their skills and, and equipment and passion. And it reminds people in an urban environment, there's this stewardship of the natural environment, despite however uh, unnatural it may seem or, or c- concrete and, and metal, yeah, right? Yeah. People are aware that there is still a natural world existing uh, in this urban environment and they recognize it, they care for it. Like I said, it's sort of urban stewardship. Fantastic, I think, for people's mental. And it makes the rest of um, the city, I think, more sensitive to things they may encounter that are um, natural and um, a, part of, a part of their world uh, like anyone else there. Yeah, uh, you you have that same feeling, no matter where people live, whether it's in the country or in the city, people still love wildlife and and nature. And there was something about Flacco who, you know, um, he was he was um, broken out of his his cage by, you know, what they call vandals. But um, I kind of get it. I kind of get you know you have this magnificent owl that was uh, not even able to fly where he was being held, and um, the sheer joy that he expressed once he was free able to fly all over the city, defying the odds, uh, and, and taking care of himself up until the end when he flew into a window, which unfortunately, you know, happens to a lot of birds. Um, and um, uh, they're still doing tests to see if maybe he was um, um, diminished in any way by something like rat poison. Again, you know, we speak out against rat poison in the city for the sole reason that um, uh, birds of prey eat rats and then they get poisoned and it, um, it, it hurts their, their, their sensibilities and things. I will say uh, the city is doing a lot. I mean, it's re- it would be tragic if uh, poison was attributed to this, but I will say the city has made very concerted efforts specifically to address rodents in the last couple of years. And, and the, I did also want to say the, the, setting this bird free was a euphemism, I think in many ways for how we had all felt caged in the last couple of years and are now, you know, in a a much freer environment. So that was something that hit me, but the city itself, I mean, I noticed many curbs with very little like garbage piled up that scheduling, the the changes, little tweaks they've been making is actually having an effect. The Mm -hmm. closed lids and stuff. I did not see, 
any rodents on our trip other than squirrels. Well, I mean, that's, that's good. Um, as long as they're not using rat poison. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, know the mayor, things. the ma- who, by the way, looked like a real idiot in the Veselka oh, yeah. uh, documentary. <laughs> if, 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 if you don't like Eric Adams, then definitely see the, the, the uh, Veselka documentary because he just is, is tone deaf and clueless, uh, throughout. Uh, but I mean, he's saying the right things. He's on the right side, but yeah, he's just a politician. It's so telling. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but um, they don't seem to really be distancing themselves from using rat poison, and that is essential. There are so many ways you can reduce the rat population without going that route. I think the the um, the non toxic methods under trees, like the the roots systems, using like um, what is it CO two or something, those are effective and maybe coming into more more prevalent use. And these. Um, uh, lids and scheduling with trial, like all those things are ways to reduce the overall sources of uh, food. And I think will help uh, in terms of the overall strategy to like augment the widespread use of poison. But you're absolutely right. Somebody's going to, and, and we have to move on, but uh, why, why do people hate rats so much? I mean, squirrels are cute, but rats are horrible. I don't understand. I mean, they're, they're basically very similar. <laughs> You know, they, they're both rodents. They both scamper about. One has a big bushy tail, but, you know, the faces aren't that different. And, uh, you know, rats are more intelligent, and maybe that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think there's... Um, and mice. People don't react to mice the same way they do rats. Right. Right. But I think there's this idea, like, you don't have squirrels, like, living... I mean, unless you're talking about WSB Studios... Oh, do you remember that? Circa <laughs> we used to have 2010s. a squirrel. That squirrel was terrorizing us in the record library. We couldn't get rid of him, no matter what. In fact, we even started making pictures of him on the, on the program guide, because he was a part of the staff at that point. I think that, that, that squirrel was powered by asbestos. The rats left us alone. We didn't have any rat problems. Well, other than a few people I can think of, but let's not get into that. All right, look, we got to move on. You know on. what I'm saying? Pass, surpass. Yeah. You we don't got... want to be sharing spaces with them. So, anyway. Uh, Michigan primary tonight. Uh, uh, Democratic uh, primary is what everybody's going to be looking at, although <laughs> there is a Republican primary going on at the same time. And um, uh, yeah, I, I just got to say, um, this, this story I'm looking at, there's a, there's a sub-headline about the Republican part, a fractured and confusing GOP process. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm relishing that, but I'm not going to focus any attention on it because I don't care. Uh, the Democratic side, though, is uh, is pretty fascinating um, because it's kind of um, uh, an assessment of how Joe Biden is being um, viewed by people in Michigan, a litmus test, they call it. Uh, his uh, refusal to call for a, a ceasefire in Gaza, you know, and stand by it. Uh, his ardent support for Israel, whose ongoing military campaign has killed roughly 30,000 Palestinians. Um, that has enraged a large block of American progressives, many of them Jewish, Many of them Arab Americans, and most notably in and around the Michigan city of Dearborn, which is home to one of the largest Arab American communities in the U.S. And that anger is fueling a statewide movement among Democratic critics of Israel for voters to mark uncommitted on their ballots tonight. Mark uncommitted instead of Biden. Now, uh, Biden won the state in 2020 by about 150,000 votes. Um, The victory margin was uh, much narrower in 2016 when Trump defeated uh, Hillary Clinton by around 11,000. Uh, the group leading the protest campaign has said it hopes to garner at least that many uncommitted votes on Tuesday. The goal to send a message to the Biden campaign about the domestic political cost of his stance on a conflict increasingly referred to by critics as a genocide. You know, um, I've said this before. Uh, if, um, if, if people out there uh, throw away their vote in November, 
uh, because they're not happy with anything that Biden has done. I have referred to them as idiots, you know, because you're basically guaranteeing Trump at that point. But what is being planned tonight? I consider that to be ingenious because, you know, it, it does not hurt Biden uh, as far as becoming the um, the nominee, but it sends a very powerful and strong message that cannot be ignored. So by all means, I support this. Absolutely. If, if, um, if, if you say uncommitted, um, people add that number up and say, wow, we've got, we've got issues here. We have to do something. We can't keep doing what we're doing. This is not working. And that is the electoral process. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. But I, I also believe that um, they, that may not be adequate pressure or that may not be the way to do it. Um, and the alternatives or the the, uh, the downside of that might actually um, end up being uh, worse for history. Uh, I, I, I feel like this administration, though they have, I think, made some serious missteps with this, um, they're at least... Uh, dynamic enough to pivot and change and and uh, come up with something anew if it's not working and if there's not broad support. If this is a way to register that support, then I guess that's what has to happen. Well, you know, if it's a way to register a particular a feeling and then see a change, even if the change is not related to the actual uncommitted vote, uh, then um, uh, you can point to that and say, hey, we did that. You know, and we support it now. We support this person now more because he listened to us, even if it was going to happen anyway. I just think it's a shrewd political move. Yeah. Yeah. But the underlying addiction to atrocities mm-hmm. is itself a a transcendent problem that needs addressing. And I don't know that one political cycle is actually going to fix that. There's oh, no. so much money and uh, other interests in death. So we got to fix a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tonight, though, it's the Michigan primary, and that's going to be uh, interesting to see just what happens there. Um, meanwhile, uh, with um, conservatives, Nazis appear to find a friendly reception at CPAC this year, a conservative political action conference. Uh, I'm not even kidding about this. Uh, throughout the conference, racist extremists, some of whom had secured official CPAC badges, openly mingled with conference attendees and espoused anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. The, the presence, yeah, we're here, folks. We've arrived at the station. The presence of these individuals has been a persistent issue at CPAC. In previous years, conference organizers have ejected well-known Nazis and white supremacists, such as Nick Fuentes. But this year, racist conspiracy theorists didn't meet any perceptible resistance at the conference. What, were Red, they like B-list Nazis? No, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm loath to say who's A-list and who's B-list here. They're all Nazis. Um, yeah, no kidding. But basically, uh, Trump was a keynote speaker again since 2017. He's been the keynote speaker, and these guys did not meet any any resistance. At the Young Republican Mixer on Friday evening, a group of Nazis who openly identified as National Socialists, they're not trying to hide anymore. You know, they're they're marching down the street in Tennessee with swastikas. So <laughs> it's, uh, we've, we've turned a corner here. Uh, so Young Republican Mixer on Friday evening, a group of Nazis openly identified as National Socialists mingled with mainstream conservative personalities, including some from Turning Point USA, and discussed so-called race science and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Uh, one member of the group, Greg Conti, who attended the deadly 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, said that his group showed up to talk to the media. He said that the group was prepared to be ejected if CPAC organizers were tipped off, but that never happened. Uh, 
Another, Ryan Sanchez, who was previously part of the Nazi Rise Above movement, uh, took photos and videos of himself at the conference with an official badge and touted associations with Fuentes. Um, other attendees in Sanchez's company openly used the N-word. Um, I assume they mean Nazi. Is that what the oh, Maybe they use the other N-word. You, know, you really got to be clearer on these stories. Uh, this is from U.S. Uh, actually, it's from NBC News. Who thought it was a great idea to give these guys badges? Well, again, they conservatives, just... Kyle, are evolving into something that we we never thought possible. Yeah, they have must have uh, tight friends there or something. Maybe they uh, should show their faces, huh? In one of the most viral moments from this year's conference, conservative personality Jack Posobiec called for the end of democracy and a more explicitly Christian-focused government. Um, he claimed later that the remarks were pure satire. Okay, but you know what? If um, if you're being scrutinized for uh, possibly uh, being for the end of democracy and, uh, you know, a Nazi and uh, far right and all that, maybe that's not the thing you uh, you pretend to be if people already believe that that's what you are, you know, because you're going to find it harder to convince them that you're not that person because you're, you've just gone on record as saying you are. I don't know. I can't. I can't convince you. You are people. not responsible for their public relations. I got to keep telling myself that. Yeah. And clearly that they thought that was how to do it. But I think the reality is the media doesn't want to talk to them. I don't understand Democrats either, especially in New York, because, okay, what happened was um, um, Democrats are in power uh, and they, they uh, drew up a congressional uh, uh, map, uh, you know, known as gerrymandering. They did this a, a few years ago because they do it all over the country. So, hey, Democrats, when they have power, I guess they should do it too. Except Republicans screamed bloody murder and were able to get it thrown out in court, even though Democrats kind of controlled the courts anyway, but I guess they wanted to play fair. So uh, for the last election, there was a different map that was basically more favorable to Republicans, even though it's a Democratic majority state. Okay, uh, then after that election, um, the court said, okay, you still have to make a map. Uh, that was just for this election, but you guys got to redo it. And um, this bipartisan commission uh, got together and came up with, um, with another map that didn't change anything on Long Island, didn't change a thing. And was basically, like I said, bipartisan. I, you know, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it when I, when I saw this. I was happy, though, when I found out last week that Democrats were going to reject that and, and come up with their own, which they had every right to do. So uh, a new map of uh, the congressional districts has been announced. It's um, outlined in a bill drafted by the Democratic-led state legislature late last night. Um, but again, changes were modest. On Long Island, the third congressional district, the one that just had the election to replace George Santos, uh, would move north and east. Um, and uh, basically, the upshot of it is that um, it, Democrats would get uh, better chances than they currently have in three districts while trading off territory with Republicans. Here's specifics. The second congressional district would move west along the coast, losing the Mauritius but gaining Massapequa, it would go from 49.2% Democrat to 48.8%. That's right. It's going to less Democrats in that district, the second congressional district. The first congressional district, the one that uh, covers Stony Brook, um, they would lose uh, Lloyd Harbor, Cold Spring Harbor, and Huntington, 
but pick up the Mauritius. It would go from 50% Democrat to 49% Democrat. What is going on here? I don't understand. The Democrats drew this up, and they're losing. They're losing numbers. Are people fleeing the di- like? Are the demographic demographics of the districts changing somehow? At well, the same time, if they they're finally- changing the boundaries, they must know this. Okay, the fourth congressional district, um, which is currently held by a Republican. Well, they're, actually, they're all held by Republicans. No, no mystery as to why. Uh, basically, would be unchanged. So we went from <laughs> we went from. Uh, where it was unchanged on Long Island before to now Democrats are losing on Long Island. And this is something that was mapped by Democrats. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't get it. But whatever, I give up. I give up trying to understand how, how this all works. It just seems like Democrats are always trying to do what's right and losing. And Republicans do whatever they want and don't pay any accountability for that. All right, uh, let's move to another Republican, one of my favorites out of Nassau County. Did you hear about this guy? Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman, what he's up to now? Uh, go ahead, Kyle. We need. We just need doing what's right to be seen as strong. So I, You interrupted my story to, to go back to the last story. Okay, fine. No, no, there should was, be a word for that. But yes, I agree well, with you. I didn't get to say anything, but yeah, tell me about Bruce. More Republicans. What do they do? Yeah, okay, well... Um, Here he is standing up on stage with a bunch of kids issuing a transgender restriction at Nassau County Athletic Facilities. I'll just read you the beginning of this. It's really pretty disgusting. Sports organizations that allow transgender girls to compete on girls' teams can't use Nassau County Athletic Facilities. County Executive Bruce Blakeman said on Thursday through an executive order that drew widespread rebuke. Blakeman, an avowed Republican, said his order goes into effect immediately at more than 100 sites, including basketball courts, swimming pools, and ball fields. It requires organizations applying for a permit to expressly designate whether they are male, female, or co-ed based on their members' biological sex at birth. Here's the thing. Um, He said he had not heard of specific examples of transgender girls attempting to compete in women's sports in Nassau. No examples. Yeah. Uh, And here he is standing up there with all these kids. Do you think these kids asked him to do this? You think they say, hey, uh, you know, County Executive Bruce Blakeman, can you please protect our sports? No, they don't care. It's a bunch of, of, of gray-haired white men caring about this that are pushing this and basically trying to influence innocent kids. That is exactly, exactly what they claim they're protecting against, but they're doing this. And it's, it's, it's absolutely gross and disgusting. It's what we're used to seeing in other states, but now he's brought it right here to New York. And it's, it, it, it's, it's awful. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because the facilities themselves should be widely available. Like access is something you should be enhancing, uh, even if it's hard in some cases. If you might have to change some protocols or or be more accommodating than you otherwise may have been twenty or thirty or forty years ago, but it's fitting and pretty on brand to further exclude and further. Um, sort of ostracize people who are not like the mainstream, like the dominant uh, uh, gender binary itself is being reinforced here and um, exclusive. It's excluding uh, uh, people who would otherwise benefit and bring uh, skill and athleticism to whatever it is they're they're um, wanting to participate in, and we should be supportive of that. And worse than that, Kyle, uh, you know, worse than just excluding them, 
it demonizes them. Yeah, it awesome. demon. Yeah. You know, with these kids that are standing up on stage, uh, transgender kids have become the enemy now. Non-binary kids have become the enemy. They're the problem. Even though there's no examples of any issues, yet now all of a sudden there's a target because of this aging white guy that's telling you this is, you know, this is who our enemy is right now. And make no mistake, that is what the message is when you when you send them send, send this kind of a thing out to people. It's um, and there 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 are so many examples of how people are abused based on this mentality. One story that I think uh, many of us have heard about is uh, of non-binary teen Nex Benedict, um, who uh, basically is Oklahoma kid who um, who died last week after an altercation at a high school, uh, altercation at an Oklahoma high school bathroom. Yeah, because bathrooms became a big issue in places like Oklahoma. Again, not the kids, the adults. The adults decided to make this an issue. You know, bathrooms are not that big a deal. I remember, you know, the first time I used a, um, a gender-free bathroom was, was in Germany at, at one of the hacker events. And I realized, wow, this is, this is such a, a non-issue. You know, it's, yeah, okay. So basically you're in a, a massive room where there are stalls and things like that. And maybe you're standing next to somebody washing their hands who's of a different gender. Who cares? It's not a big deal at all. Yet they turned it into this major issue and of course that is what um what was happening out in um in oklahoma uh where this this uh poor kid next was was uh being bullied and you know here's i'm looking at a story right now from the new york daily news and this the headline to the story i want you to hear the headline non-binary teen next benedict didn't die from school fight injuries according to the cops yeah um meanwhile in that same story there's a quote from Next Benedict, a quote from one of her posts, or one of their posts, I'm sorry. Um, if I'm still dizzy and nauseous in the morning, I might have a concussion. It's right there. It's right there. They were injured. They were seriously injured. There's a reason why, you know, if you get a head injury on the field, you're taken off the, 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 the pitch. You have a doctor look at you. You, you. you are examined. You're held overnight. This didn't happen here. It should have happened. But clearly, clearly they were they were more seriously injured from this altercation that took place because they were in a bathroom that some kids didn't feel she belonged in or they belonged. I'm sorry, I don't get the pronouns right. But the point is, it's wrong. It's wrong to demonize people based on something like this. It's an issue that adults are creating. Kids can handle it. And if there are problems, we deal with the problems. This was not a problem until it became... A death. Yeah, yeah. The um, the idea that uh, they may have sustained some kind of hemorrhage or uh, brain injury, uh, that that itself. I'm curious why the police are an authority. Is that the medical examiner saying that, or is, is it an independent uh, uh, health authority? Um, the that the police make that judgment as uh, like is saying everything and nothing. I mean, yeah, the person was not dead at at the scene. So that means the injuries they sustained didn't have anything to do with it. That doesn't seem like a very um, qualified assessment. It may cover their bases as far as their expertise goes, but I don't know that that assessment is really enough, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Um, The idea though, I think we need that we need to think about too, is the kind of behaviors that are 
gen- when we create gendered um, uh, restrooms, the kind of behaviors that we are uh, conditioning young people to engage in. And this idea of the boys' room is for boys, girls' room is for girls, and that you're either in or out. And if you transgress that, that you are somehow owed a punishment. And in some I mean, you do not find that level of violent masculinity um, or, or uh, femininity in, in a female restroom. I don't know that there would be a beatdown. Um, uh, there would maybe be uh, an outcry from um, someone uh, uh, that is not a part of the gender binary entering a female restroom but they probably would be able to leave with their life. That does not occur in the same way in the men's water closet. Okay. And if you do not conform to the codes and the, the, the norms of that environment, you are ostracized and you are at the effect of, um, of a challenge to, um, another's masculinity and therefore a threat to it in their Mm -hmm. eyes that you um uh exist in that environment without conforming or in 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 fact in in direct challenge maybe in their eyes um becomes uh something to um to beat out of you Mm -hmm. and uh i witnessed a lot of that not not personally um as much plenty though uh, but we all just have. seeing how society treats other people, uh, people who do not conform to uh, a general idea of masculinity, I've seen. I, you see how that is beaten and and killed in in people who are not that way right. at a very very young age. And you know this is brought about by our leaders. Our leaders implant these ideas into our heads, and and uh, you know we we. Um, uh, you know, I say we, as as all of society, we act this way against people who we view as threats, knowing that we have the backing of these very powerful people behind us. Whether it's Bruce Brakeman in, in 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 Nassau County, whether it's the governor of Oklahoma last year, Governor Kevin Stitt signed an executive order defining sex-based words like female and woman in a way that excluded transgender people. Yeah. Why? Why was that necessary? Just to, to, to hurt these people? They exist. They're real people. Now, backed by this governor, a superintendent of public instruction, Ryan Walters, has launched a crusade to force fundamentalist Christianity into public schools with a cruel focus on trans youth. Oklahoma legislators have compounded the harm by passing laws undermining LGBTQ plus rights. That's according to uh, Rachel Laser president and CEO of Americans United for separation of church. It's disgusting. It's disgusting what is going on. Yeah. And, and it's why you see more such instances because these, these people are being targeted. So they become targets of school children as well. That's what do you expect? Oh uh, yeah. And the thing that is really galling for me is there's a lot of people that, I mean, you acknowledge this too. And I, I know it. We can look historically and say maybe in the last 50 years, we're at a great point for LGBTQ people. There's been a lot more uh, uh, understanding, normalization. Uh, There's figures, I guess we'll say, in the media. But that is very hard, I think, for people directly associated, directly 
um, experiencing our world mm -hmm. because what we see in the media or what we might laud as individual accomplishments along the way is not actually the lived experience of individuals out in the world. There is still tons of conformity. There is still um, a lack of space for people to do normal things like play sports. And transgender people are like with the beginning of a lot of the bathroom co fake controversies, I would say, and that um, a challenge to people trying to increase access and level some of these spaces from those binaries that I, that I said were, you know, conditioning people for certain behaviors more so than an, a sort of inclusive welcoming environment right. that's just really neutral. So anyway, I, I don't want to go on and on, but I'm just saying it's like, it's really hard to be yourself, to just be yourself and have all these wonderful uh, experiences you know, in your head or like, ideally we're in a great new place. Yeah, we are, but we kind of aren't mm -hmm. and it kind of hasn't changed enough. So, I mean, let's not rest too, well, too deeply on the laurels. Ask yourself if you flip it and, and, you know, LGBTQ plus people are in the position that um, everybody else is in and everybody else is now in their position. Would everybody else be upset? Yeah, they would be. Well, right. And, and would, would, we're right. And would we say, you should just you should be thankful that you're allowed to exist now. Like, oh uh -huh. yes, you want all of the queers to just be up, just thanking everyone and pouring out their appreciation to be alive. Are you kidding? Like, mm -hmm. this is not this is not about like everyone having done a big favor. You're treating people the way they ought to be treated for once. Yeah. And in and small ways so most far. Most kids will get that. Because that's uh, that's the default. I think that's the default. But when messages are sent by by parents with agendas, by elected officials with agendas, by school officials, you know, one one of the school officials, I, I think it was the school resource, whatever that is, um, they said, you know, everybody was a victim here because apparently um, uh, next uh, uh, poured water over over one of the bullies' heads when when they were being bullied, <laughs> you know. That's the only language bullies understand, all right? You fight back. And they fought back. And because of that, uh, the official position from the school resource uh, official is that, yeah, they were, they were also victims. And, you know, I've seen this. I've seen this firsthand where teachers basically want to be in good with the popular students as much as the other students do as well. I've had it happen to me. It's ridiculous. And it's completely contrary to, uh, to what teachers are there for. And in this particular case, boy, you could not find a better example of um, of how this uh, this all falls apart. And I, I'm really, I, I really, um, a, a bit afraid of what will happen in Nassau and Suffolk as well if uh, something like that happens here. In addition, we have to look out for people. We have to make sure we're all treated with respect and um, given the opportunities. These are kids, you know. They are developing. They are learning. They're they're in a very um, um, vulnerable position. And actions like what happened in Nassau County, they're shameful. They are absolutely shameful. And uh, we need to speak out against them. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interjection is the word that comes to mind. And I think um, vulnerable people do have breaking points. Um, the unicorn defends itself. I don't know what that means, but I like the sound of it. Um, wow. Uh, in um, Patchogue, this guy Joseph Kess admits harassing the same-sex couple. 
um, on uh, Mother's Day last May. And um, you got to wonder where people get the idea that this kind of thing um, is okay. He and a co-defendant, Thomas Gare, also of Patchog, uh, attacked the women as they sat at a bench watching the sunset in Patchog. Um, they urinated on their vehicle, threw beer cans at them, threw one woman's phone and sandals into the bay, and then attempted to drag one of the women into the water. And then what, drowner? I don't know. How do you even get into people's heads like this? It's it's so horrible, so disgusting, and so, so typical. Uh, you know, this is the kind of behavior that um, you encourage. If somebody believes, yes, these people are the problem. They're causing all kinds of issues. They're they're endangering our kids. And um, when people like Blakeman uh, do these things, they only underline that. So. Yeah, it's sad, but you know what? It can turn into something positive if we um, if we stand up and shout and, and unite and prevent this kind of thing. Because the threat is always there. Always will be. Yes, and who says we give a damn about your kids? All right. Well, we are just about out of time. Um, OTW at 2600.com is our email address. Am I free to go? Uh, well, you have to untie the... Uh, <laughs> The uh, oh okay, well yeah we'll 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 take care of he free him please yeah we we we'll take care of that uh please stay tuned to uh, WUSB keep listening and um and we will uh, be back again next week with another uh, fun filled edition of um, of off the wall until then please stay awake send us stories if you find something that uh, might be of interest uh, and um, stand up for for justice whenever you have the opportunity because. Uh, there are many opportunities to stand up for what's right. And um, I'm proud that the people I know tend to do that. <sighs> All right. We Takes will, courage. Yes. We will uh, be back again next week, as I said. One way or another. One way or another, yeah. Good night, Kyle. Bye. Through the corners of our eyes Talking to us Now we see them Talking about us Whispering lies All around us Not wanting us To know the truth Tell us the truth Don't let us down You're a fool If you do If only we could Together, then I know we live forever, live forever, live forever. Tell us the truth, don't let us down. You're a fool if you do.
let us down. 